You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. If I told you today that a family in our church will be leaving and on their way home, they're going to go through three roundabouts. What, what community do you think they might be going to? Okay, I heard Willard, yeah. Highway 160, uh, I'm familiar with this. Uh, we live in, where our house is, uh, we're a Springfield address, but, but we are in the Willard School District, just barely. I mean, the district line is really close to our house. And so we have now driven Highway 160 more times than I can count. And when it went to four lanes, I was so grateful and appreciative. I mean, as a family, this has been awesome. We've loved it. But if you've ever driven that way down Highway 160 to, yes, Willard or Ash Grove or Walnut Grove and those areas, and you're going down 160, you hit a roundabout. And, uh, you know, the very first time I ever experienced a roundabout actually was in Burnley, England. I was in the car with George. Uh, I was staying at their house, George and Ivy. Yes, George and Ivy in Burnley, England. We were on a mission trip, and we went into a roundabout. I was like, this is cool. You know, it was a roundabout, my first experience. Uh, in the last year and a half, I've done more roundabouts than I have in the last, you know, 49 years of my life. And it's been right there on Highway 160. You go, you get into this roundabout, you come out of it and you're like, oh, that was cool. All of a sudden, whoa, another roundabout. Okay, that was cool. Oh, another roundabout. Here we go. It's just one after another after another. And those of you who live that way, you've been doing a lot of roundabouts to get there. And, and you know, when you think about a roundabout, they're meant to be exited. You know, you're not supposed to just stay in it and get stuck there. They're meant to be exited. But when I think about a roundabout, I sometimes feel the same way when it comes to my struggle, my battle with sin, with temptation. You know, you, you face temptation, and if you're like me, there's been times when then you, you don't fight that temptation, so you sin, and then you, you confess that sin and, and repent of that sin, and you experience God's grace, and, and you experience the joy of restoration in his grace when he forgives you, and then you feel delivered and, and you, you live in that. And then sometime later, you think, ah, oh, I got out of that, got out of that cycle, only to find yourself tempted, and then sin. And then you confess and repent and you experience the grace of God and you experience the restoration of forgiveness, of salvation, again, being restored to the joy of your salvation. And you're like, got out of that cycle. Have you ever been there? It's this cycle that, that feels like you can get stuck in that cycle at times. From one roundabout to another roundabout, here we go again, we're going there again. Maybe you have felt like that, where you're stuck in that cycle with no end in sight. You know, Jesus said in John 8, 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Where you get stuck in that roundabout of slavery in life where you feel powerless to end the cycle and that endless cycle from one to another to another is what we see in God's people, the Israelites, during the time of the judges. You know, as we've been going through this year of Bible engagement as a church and reading together, we've been in the book of Judges. We're, we're now out of it in our Bible reading, but this is the final sermon on this. And, 
And we're basically covering this 400 year time period from about 1380 BC to about 1045 BC where the people just get stuck in a cycle of sin that just gets repeated over and over and over again, six times, seven times. They just get stuck in the cycle. Round and round they go from one sin cycle to another sin cycle. It just seems like it just keeps going there. The the Israelites do evil in the eyes of the Lord and they start worshiping other gods. And then God hands them over to be oppressed and to be conquered when they suffer the consequences of their sin. And then they cry out to God for help. And God raises up a savior to deliver them, a judge to deliver them. And then they experience peace. They experience joy for a period of time, only to do it again. This is the cycle we see. Round and round they go. And in Judges 13, in fact, if you want to open your Bible or your device to Judges chapter 13 through Judges chapter 15, 16, that area, we're going to be looking at this. And And Judges chapter 13 begins like this. And if you've been reading through Judges, it doesn't surprise you because Judges chapter 13, verse one, begins with this word and it says, what's the word? Again. When you get to Judges 13, you should hear the frustration. I mean, you should, in this moment, feel the enslavement. You should sense the incessant repetition. It's like again, again. This is like the seventh time this phrase is used in Judges. Again, the Israelites, not the word again used for the seventh time, but this phrase, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's the seventh time that that phrase, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord comes. And it says, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. For 40 years, here we go again. It's this endless cycle of sin and suffering. And the suffering was essential to produce repentance and for the people to have this spiritual awakening that they needed to do something different. But it's just so frustrating to see it over and over again in the book of Judges. And I think if we're completely honest, you know that you feel this at times too, over and over again in your life, where you start going, you know, we're really not that much different from them in some ways. And and I know that even great men and women of faith have felt the struggle and the fight against the cycle of sin. You know, even the Apostle Paul, who was saved by God's grace, wrote most of our New Testament, called to be an apostle. Here's what he writes in Romans chapter seven, verses, verse 15, and then 18 through 20. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do He goes on in verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that it is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. I think the question is, do you ever feel this way? I do. I feel this way at times. Why do I do that? He goes on in verses 22 to 25. For in my innermost being, I I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within me. What a wretched man I am. And then he asks this question. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue me? He answers that question, and we'll get to that here in a moment. But in every age, in every culture, in every single person is a battle to break the cycle of sin, a battle against temptation. 
And there's this brief moment in time in Judges chapter 13 when we think, you know what, maybe Samson can do it. He comes onto the scene in Judges 13. Maybe Samson, who, who God is raising up to limit the oppression of the Philistines for those 40 years of the Israelites, for a period of time of that, God's going to raise up Samson to help limit their oppression against Israel. And when you read Samson's story, and I'm going to kind of skim through his story that's in those, found in those chapters, Judges chapter 13 and 14 and 15, it begins with this miraculous conception. His mother was unable to have children, and the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, appears to uh, her and lets her know that she's going to become pregnant and she's going to have a son, and, but this son is to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite, a vow, a Nazarite vow meant that no fermented drink from the fruit of the vine was to touch his lips. His hair was not to be cut. He was not to touch anything that was unclean according to the law. And so because of that, from the time he was in the womb, this was to be followed, which meant not even mom could eat grapes from the fruit of the vine, at least not while she was pregnant. And so we read in Judges 13, 24, that the woman gave birth to a boy and she named him Samson and he grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahane Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. He's blessed by the Lord. The spirit of the Lord begins to stir in him, which means that, that he was empowered by the spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important for us to know that whenever you read about Samson or even any other Old Testament character about how they were empowered by the Spirit of God, this is different than being indwelled by the Spirit of God. He was empowered, meaning the Spirit of God would come upon him in power, but he, was, he did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen until Acts chapter 2, after Jesus' death and his resurrection, and after he, he showed himself to his apostles and he told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come and they were to wait in Jerusalem for him to come, and, and this, this would be good for them, and, and the springs of living water would flow from within them, and that, that in John 14 he says that the Holy Spirit would, would come within them, that this was something new and different that the Holy Spirit was going to do in our lives. And in Acts chapter 2, it happens. On the day of Pentecost there, as Peter is preaching, and he tells them that every person who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's God, and he's the Christ, the Messiah, and he says, and repent of your sins and be baptized. Why? In Acts 2, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This was new. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this was something that began on that day, and now every Christian from that day forward, Every Christian has the indwelling Holy Spirit, not only saving them, but empowering them. Rivers of living water flowing from within them in their innermost being. The Holy Spirit himself actually, personally, distinctly, uniquely coming into our lives, into our hearts and our, our bodies. And we don't know how he's doing all of that, but we know why. It's to save us from our sins and it's to empower us to live a new life for Jesus so we can live according to his will. This is in Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 12. We know that the Holy Spirit wants to indwell us, that that's how he, he leads us according to Romans 8. This is how he fills us according to Ephesians 5. This is how he produces fruit of the Holy Spirit, righteousness in us, according to Galatians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 commands us to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means that this is a responsibility you have to submit yourself to the Holy Spirit leading 
so he can fill you and work and move in you, that this is a choice that you make every day when you submit to his ruling in your life, to his sanctifying power. And people who ignore it, people who repress it and don't do it, they're not filled by him. So the indwelling Holy Spirit is the key to breaking the cycle of sin. And we're gonna get more into that in a minute. But Samson did not yet have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He had the empowering Holy Spirit to do works of power. And for Samson, here's what this meant. This meant by the Holy Spirit empowering him, he had this unimaginable strength that was just mind-blowing. And then he had this undaunted courage. I mean, he was like the Hulk of his day. But I don't think he looked like the Hulk. I mean, the fact that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit and the fact that so many people would come against him and fight him, I think they didn't realize the kind of strength that he had because it came from the Lord. Powerful strength, undaunted bravery. He was aware that he had this strength, which is why he loved, he loved to shake it up with the Philistines. I mean, he, that's what he lived for. He wanted to tangle he wanted to make life miserable for them because they've been making life miserable for him and his people. And he was God's man to tell the Philistines, this is enough, no further. That's how God was using him during those days to limit the oppression of the Philistines. But let's be clear. Samson is not an example or model to follow. He's not. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with hardly one character quality that you're like in Samson's life. Where you're like, you know what? That's the kind of person God wants you to be. You're going to be hard-pressed to find it when you look at his life. He's just not that. He's Holy Spirit-empowered, but he's not Holy Spirit-controlled or inspired. And when I look at Samson, what you see is you see this incredible strength, but coupled with it, you see a lot of sin. Instead of breaking the cycle of sin, it looks like he has his own cycles of sin. Like in Judges 14, I see strength whenever a lion came and attacked Samson. A lion came after him, and he just tore that lion apart with his bare hands. And yet I see sin when he comes back later, finding honey in the carcass of the lion, and he eats it knowing that it's considered unclean. That's why he doesn't even tell his parents where he got it. I see strength in Judges 14 when he struck down 30 men of Ashkelon. Incredible strength, but I see sin because he did it out of a fit of rage and he did it because he'd given a riddle at a feast and he did it because those, those guys were trying to threaten his soon-to-be or what would have been his, his wife to get the answers out of her. And in so doing, he's furious, a fit of rage. But the reason he's there in the first place is because of lust, he saw this Philistine woman and she looked good to him. He would say she was right in my own eyes, but she didn't follow God whatsoever. Even though the scripture had said in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 7, God explicitly commanded his people not to intermarry with the nations and the people around them who did not follow God because their hearts would be led astray. So he wasn't following what God said at all. I see strength in Judges 15 when Samson tied 300 foxtails together and sent them through the standing grain of the Philistines. 
which was ready for harvest. He did that in response to the fact that he was supposed to, to marry this girl. And while he was battling and these other guys, they, her father gave her to another companion that had been at the wedding. I see strength when he killed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey when his own people were handing him over to them and the Philistines came to attack him. He was fighting them out of vengeance for killing his fiancée and father. I see strength when he was given the position of judge for 20 years in Israel. I see strength in Judges 16 when he tore the gates of a city and its posts and bars out because they tried to lock him into the city and he carried them for 30 miles to the top of a hill. Okay, there's some supernatural strength at work there. But I see sin because the reason he was in that city is because he went to visit a prostitute. I see strength when his girlfriend Delilah tries to get the secret of his strength and he continues to tell her things that don't actually have anything to do with his, uh, the secret to why he has his strength. And so whenever he's attacked, he continues to overpower anyone and everyone. And yet I see sin because he falls in love with a woman who does not love or honor God. I see pride as he plays with her emotions and continues to give her teases with her and just plays with them and I see pride when finally he tells her that the secret is in his hair, his long hair. There was this Nazarite vow and that if he were to ever cut his hair, he would lose his strength, thinking oh, she won't be able to do that. I'll, I'll be able to keep that from happening. But then whenever his head is shaved and he tries to shake himself free and fight the Philistines, he doesn't even realize in that moment that the Lord had left him. Sin will lead you to a place where you don't even realize just how far away from the Lord you are. And I think one of the saddest verses in the entire book of Judges is in Judges 16, verse 20, where it says he awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll get out before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He just didn't know. I mean, that's what sin does. It's, it's possible to grow so cold towards God, you don't even realize how far from God you really are. And, Samson's choices just led him to a place where he violated that last straw of the Nazarite vow. And the Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes and they bound him and they put bronze shackles and they set him to grinding grain in prison. And when you look at Samson now, you see someone who's broken, you see someone who's weak, someone who's broken spiritually and physically and emotionally. The Lord's power left him. But in some ways, isn't it true that really Samson had left God? This was his life for quite some time. And I think when you look at someone like Samson, I think some things that we have to recognize and realize about sin is that sin, it takes you farther than you want to go. It will always keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you plan to pay. That's how sin works. Sin takes you farther than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you plan to stay. And it costs you far more than you plan to pay. That's just how sin works in our lives. And what you read next is just heartbreaking as we come to the end of the story of Samson. It's in Judges 16, 23 to 30. It says, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate. Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. So the Philistines are now having this huge feast, this huge gathering. They're bringing Samson to celebrate the power of their God. 
Dagon was a fish god, half fish, half man. They believed that man came from, from fish, and so this was their god. But also there seemed to be an element in which they believed that their god was the provider of grain, which is interesting here because Samson is a prisoner grinding grain, helping in, in their way to serve their god. And the text says that when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. And when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers, and all the people in it. Thus he killed more when he died than while he lived. Samson is the 12th and final judge. It's mentioned in the book of Judges, and you come to the end of the story of the book of Judges, and honestly, you get to the end of Judges, and it just leaves you hanging. It doesn't feel like a resolution at all. You get to the end of this book and you're still longing for someone who will break the cycle, someone who will not look like the culture around them, someone who will overcome sin, someone who will deliver their people from sin, someone who will get us out of the roundabout to another roundabout, from one cycle to another cycle. We just keep longing for this, and that's the bad news of judges. We realize that the deliverer, the Savior, is just not here yet. None of these judges could actually deliver. But there's also this good news that we have in the Bible, and that is that the Savior has come. Now, as we sit on this side of history, a Savior has come. We've been longing for this. He's in the book of Judges. He's just not one of the judges. He's the angel of the Lord that is in this story, appearing to those people, the angel of the Lord, Jesus. He doesn't come to bring salvation, deliverance in the book of Judges, but he will as we get to the New Testament. And unlike Israel's judges, Jesus is the perfect one, he did not succumb to sin. He overcame our greatest enemy. Remember in Romans chapter seven that I read earlier when Paul was saying, I don't do what I wish I did, what I want to do, I don't do it. And then he had that question in Romans 7, 24, when he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Here's his answer. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the savior. The one that the judges could never produce, Jesus was able to do it. Deliverance is possible through him when he's your Lord. Deliverance is possible because he's broken the bondage of sin. God did that through Jesus. He did what no one else could do. He is the fulfillment of the perfect king who came, the perfect king who ushered in a new kingdom through his perfect life and death and resurrection. We're forgiven of our sins we are regarded as perfect, new, cleansed, free from accusation in his sight because the sinless son of God paid the price for our sins so that we could live in righteousness and holiness so that we could be declared righteous on the one hand and justified, made right with God, and we could be made righteous as he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to be transformed, to be changed, to become like him. He did this. 
He's the example that we follow, not Samson. He's giving us a new life so that we don't do what judges did where everyone lived and did what was right in their own eyes, who followed their own hearts, wherever their heart led, instead of what would God want, instead of allowing their heart to be led by God. And when you think about this breaking the cycle of sin that we see in judges and you see in you and I see in myself, I think there's some things when we come away from this story that are pretty important for us to hang on to. And the first one is this, that when you see God use sinful people, empowerment of God's spirit does not equal endorsement of sinful actions. And so as you're reading through the Bible and you see God using sinful people like Samson, and you're like, why would God do that? Because in his providence and his sovereignty, he will use anyone to accomplish his purposes. Just because he's using someone for his purpose does not mean he approves of their actions or their behaviors or their choices or their attitudes. And I think an example of this that I mentioned earlier is that when, when Samson tells his parents to go get this girl for me from this Philistine town, this is the one I want. His motive is wrong, his morals are wrong. But here's what the text says in Judges 14.4 that I didn't read to you earlier. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. God was using even his sinful choices and decisions that went against God's will. God was using that with Samson in that moment to confront the Philistines. God was gonna put him in close proximity with those who were oppressing his people so that God could create some moments when they would come in conflict with one another. So God was using it anyway. God will use whoever is available on the world stage, good and bad, which means sometimes that's why we can step back. And even in history, when you see evil rulers do what they do, you can sometimes realize that moment, God is still sovereign, he's still in control, he's still using this. Tim Mackey, with the Bible Project, that a lot of you have been watching those videos, those animated videos that teach so much as we go through this year of Bible engagement, and you can find all those links on our website. But he said, you know what, when you read someone like Samson, you can go survey a lot of children's books at how they handle the, the person of Samson. And really, he's treated more like, in our culture, like Captain America. You know, this great guy with power that was just saving his people. And he says, but the problem with that is whenever we present him in those kinds of terms, like someone to be emulated in some way, because we gotta, be, we gotta be careful about that because we miss what the author is trying to communicate through these narratives. The book is not offering Ehud and Gideon or Jephthah or Samson as people that you should aspire to be like. Yeah, some of them had bright moments, but, but it's rare that when you read through the Judges, what you ought to see when you read it is something dark. And what you ought to see when you read Judges is tragic literature. It's tragic. He's like, we're not used to this. The storytelling that we're used to is the Hollywood storytelling where the movie ends with some kind of redemptive solution. Oftentimes it has a feel-good ending. But the people in the ancient world were not uncomfortable telling stories of deeply flawed people just like they were. 
And those kinds of stories, Tim says, give us a close study of how a person slowly starts making choices of moral compromise that lead to greater and greater consequences. He's like, almost no one starts out life planning on self-ruin. So how does one reach a place of destructive life choices that become a habit? How's it happen? He says, it's not overnight. You look in books like Judges, and it's usually through a complex matrix of decisions and influences. We're not even aware that we're participating in our own demise. And these tragic stories reflect how life actually works. And sometimes the bridges we burn can't be repaired. These kinds of stories stand as important warnings, allowing us to experience catastrophe through literature instead of real life. I mean, that'd be the ultimate goal. As you see it in someone else, you're like, I don't wanna go there. I don't wanna be like that. I'm gonna go in a different way. He says, it, it can act like a stop sign. It says, stop, no further. Don't go down this road. These characters help reveal that to us and, and that we need a king. The book of Judges reveals that what we need isn't a king who can rescue us from our political enemies. That's not it. We need a king who can rescue us from ourselves, from our own sin cycles. One roundabout of sin to another roundabout of sin. We need a, a king that's worthy to submit our lives to. Because Samson was empowered by the Spirit, but he was not controlled by the Spirit. And what we know as God's people today is we are to be controlled by the Spirit, and in so doing, we'll be empowered by the Spirit to live a new life. Samson didn't have the indwelling Spirit like what we have. And what you need to know right now is this, is that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is essential to breaking the cycle of sin. We need complete dependence on the Holy Spirit coming into our life, and we need to live by that Spirit. This is what Paul said in Romans 8, 9 through 11. He said, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. What, what Paul is talking about throughout Romans is that we, we have a spiritual resurrection that the Holy Spirit gives us when we're saved and we experience new life and he empowers us for new life. But we also one day will have a physical re resurrection by the same power of the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He too will one day raise our bodies out of the grave as well when Jesus comes back. We get a spiritual resurrection. We get a physical resurrection. And we, because of this Holy Spirit living in us, we are gonna be empowered to live a new life. In fact, we, we will have the fruit of the Spirit in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that Galatians 5 talks about. We get the fruit of the Spirit in our life when we allow the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within us to lead us. You know, Samson's last prayer that you'll find in Judges comes when he has a right hand on one pillar and a left hand on another. And in that moment, his prayer was simply this, let me die with the Philistines. Let me die with the Philistines. There's some words in his prayer that probably would be good for us to use that we need not make our prayer the way Samson made his prayer. But this whole concept of let me die 
There is an element of that when it comes to our battle with sin that's so important. Where I die to myself and my sin nature and I live for Christ. Where I pray to God, God, I not my will but yours be done. I die to my desires to live for who Christ is, for the one who God has called me to be, to be who he's called me to be. That is a good prayer to pray. For you to be controlled by God's Holy Spirit is going to require you to die to self, to live for him. That's how we break the cycle of sin and of suffering. It's in those moments of temptation right then that we've got to ask for help. Help from the fall. You have to be willing to put to death your own will, your own lusts, your own desires, to be conformed into his perfect will. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is the only one who can allow us to break out of this cycle of sin. And when you allow that, you can believe this. God's transforming grace will change you. It will change you. You have to have the faith to believe it. You have to have the faith to participate in it. That the grace of Jesus doesn't just save you, but that the grace of Jesus will change you, will empower you, will transform you. It is this grace that Jesus wants to give you, this grace for change, this grace for transformation. You see, the blood of Jesus doesn't just save you from your sins. It empowers you to live a new life. There's grace for that too. And so ask God for the grace, the grace to change, the grace to be transformed. Because the word of God says that through Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You're not a slave. You're not stuck in a cycle that you can't get out of. You may believe it or think it, but that's false belief. You need to know right now that you have the freedom, the freedom to live for Jesus, the freedom to live in righteousness, the, the Holy Spirit empowering you, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead at work in you. And Romans 8 says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's also interceding for us. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you believe this? You are more than conquerors. That's not just your salvation status. That is how you can step into every single moment, every single day of your life in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be stuck in a cycle of sin in which I go around this roundabout and this roundabout and this roundabout and this roundabout. We can break the cycle, get out of it and walk in the new life that Jesus has for you. Through Christ, you can conquer sin. Through Christ, you can conquer self. Through Christ, he wants you to give this message to the world. Our only hope is in Jesus. And I just want you to know right now, this cycle of sin that we see in judges, and you see in you, and I see in me, is at work in our world, all over our world, in every person, in every culture, in every land. And the only hope is Jesus. I'd like for you to give your 
attention to the screen as this video talks about how some of our workers and some of our partners that we're working with are helping to see that this message of hope and of Jesus gets to a lost world right here, right now. Give your attention to the screens. We love the country God has called us to in Eastern Europe. But ministry has been slow going. For 10 years, we tried different approaches to build relationships with spiritually hungry people. Humanitarian aid, English classes, running a business, flood relief, Christmas child boxes, and believe it or not, goat farming. We met a lot of people through our efforts. They just weren't interested in Jesus or spiritual conversations. We were doing good things, but it never led to the discipleship relationships we were looking for. That's when we decided to try media. We learned about a strategy from a team in another country using media to catalyze disciple-making movements, or media to movements for short. In this strategy, media serves as a way to find and connect with those seeking spiritual answers online. But it doesn't stop there. The goal is to move these relationships offline and see people become disciples of Jesus who continue making disciples among their friends and family. It took us six months to launch our first campaign. The response we saw exceeded our expectations. We ran Facebook ads asking, are you one of those people who had a dream of the man in white? Referring to Jesus. 23,000 people watched 100% of our video ads. 2,500 people visited our website. 110 people messaged us. 10 requested a Bible. And two people met with us in person. In 20 days, we had more engagement with spiritually seeking people than the first 10 years combined. It felt like we had been using a small fishing pole, and now we had a large net. As a result of our first effort, we realized we needed to build systems for prayer, media development, and partnerships to follow up with those who responded. Since our launch in Bosnia, God has expanded the use of digital strategies to nearby countries like Serbia. After nine months, they saw 281 new people involved in a discipling relationship and 58 people accept Christ as Lord. God continues opening doors to share what we've learned, and we now coach 18 other teams using the same strategy. Our goal is to see media to movement initiatives take root in all 44 countries in Europe, so they too can experience an increase in fruitfulness that ignites a powerful movement of God. You don't have to be a media person to do this, but it does take commitment. There are people from a variety of ministries ready to help you. To get started or connect with others, learn more here. 
One of the exciting things about this work is uh, Justin, who's one of our workers uh, here at Northside, is in intricately involved with this project, uh, media to movement, uh, working in Bos th through with Bosnia, and you know, there's even a Bosnia culture in St. Louis, Missouri, and so there's a lot of work already happening. And I think the exciting thing about that is because we know that Jesus is the hope for the world, and as we look throughout history, even God working through history, we just see, we see one thing after another that doesn't work until we get to Christ. And Jesus is the answer, he's everything. And I just want you to know today that, that when you give today as an act of worship to the Lord, and on the screen it's gonna tell you some ways that you can do that, whether it's through text to give or online through our website or even if you're present in the boxes at the back of the room that when you give, a portion of that is, is going to this kind of work, to new and innovative ways in which we're praying for God to begin a disciple-making movement. And you get to be a part of that through your work and your service and through your giving. And so I want to encourage you to give today as an act of worship for that. And then there's another step I'd like for us to take right now. And I'd just like for you just to close your eyes wherever you are, whether you're watching online or if you're just sitting right here in your seat, just want you to close your eyes and bow your head and spend some time in reflection with the Lord. In fact, here in a moment, as, as you hear these words being sung over you, I want you to just let them wash over you and to speak to you. I want this to be an opportunity for you to meditate, to have the space to reflect, to get out of the cycle the cycle of sin that you may feel like you're just going round and round about with. And this could be a time for you to pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That he would have more of you. That you would be God's man and God's woman. That you would lean into Jesus to do that. And maybe today for you, part of that is just, maybe you haven't yet to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, which means here in a moment when you're invited to stand. You can meet me over here at Decision Point. But let this just be a moment where you just listen. Let the words wash over you as you hear this being sung. And then when you're invited to stand, you can meet me over at Decision Point. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.